So today, we're looking at an in-depth view at Romans 7. Paul discusses the release from the law um, and our redemption because of Christ. So in other words, the law has no bearing on our salvation. And we've been talking about that for a little while. Um, So the previous chapter that we talked about, Romans 6, talks about our two options, basically. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. That's it. If you're not a slave to one, you're a slave to the other by default. Right, so Paul helps us to see that there's even no mix and match between the two. You can't dabble in either or. Um, verse 2 of chapter 6, um, it's funny because you can almost hear, it's kind of like a rhetorical question, at least that's how I read it, um, or a little bit of sarcasm. So Romans 6, 2 says, we are, the, um, we are those who have died to sin. How then can we live in it any longer? So, pretty straightforward. If you're dead to something, how can you be alive in what you died to anymore? All right. Um, so God created this, the law to be pretty much impossible to follow. And he did that so the Israelites would recognize their need for him. Um, and we've gone over that for a couple weeks now. Um, if the law was easy to follow or even obtainable, there would be no need for Jesus to come and fulfill the law. Um, and Paul tells us pretty bluntly in Romans three, twenty through 21. So therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So, the law was not made for righteousness. Alright, so before getting started, uh, we need to make sure we're on the same page for what the law is referring to. Um, In scripture, it can pertain to two things. So the storyline or message of the first five books of the Bible, which originally were not separate books, it was all one book, the Torah, or two very specific, the hundreds of laws uh, laid out by God. So what to do, what not to do, those kinds of things. So the storyline of the Torah sounds good uh, when you're hearing the overview. Um, It's the way that we can be right with God before Jesus entered the picture. Um, So Gil started a a small group of sorts via GroupMe with um, a bunch of guys here. Um, And we're going through the Bible chronologically, which is pretty cool. I've I've started that in years past, but never actually stuck with it this far. Um, So, so far we've gotten through Genesis and Job completed. We're in like the middle of Exodus now. Um, But I've noticed more instances this time reading of God's manifestation to people in the Old Testament um, physically than than ever before that I've noticed. Um, So to name just a few, Genesis 3 uh, to Adam and Eve, um, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. So that's physical. He was there. Um, Genesis 11, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower of people, or and the tower the people were building. Genesis 12, the Lord appears to Abram. In Genesis 32, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So once you start picking apart all the specific laws and commands given by God, um, that's when you see a lot of the rebellion. So God says, "Hey, don't do this." The Israelites are like, "Yeah." Let's try it. Let's see for ourselves. Um, Because we know better. Just like Adam and Eve. 
Um, so it's just this constant repetition of Adam's sin when it's brought to their attention. So more rules and laws equal more sin, and that was the point. God wanted to show his people that um, it's sin that was ruling the world, and the Torah, being as good as it was, was just not good enough on its own. Fortunately, Christ entered the picture and has redeemed us and saved us from the penalty, power, and presence of sin, which is kind of our main point today. Praise God. All right, so some key verses today and uh, concepts that we'll talk about. Romans 3.23, and you don't have to turn to any of these, um, but you can if you want to. Um, Legal guilt, Brian talked about this a little bit in one of our earlier weeks. Um, We have all fallen short, each and every one of us, Hammer down, guilty, period. Um, You don't get to say anything about it. Um, Slaves to sin by default out of the womb. So that is fun. Not good news. Uh, Leviticus 18, 3 through 5 talks about known sins. So God gave very specific instructions to Moses about what to do and what not to do, such as rules and things to follow. We also inherently know right from wrong. You don't have to teach most of those things, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Leviticus 4, 1 through 6, talks about the unknown sins. Um, guilt is this emotion that is given to us by God. Sometimes it can present as something subtle, like, uh, something doesn't feel right, um, something just small welling up inside of us, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where it's like, yeah, I really goofed that one up. I feel terrible about what I decided to do knowing it was wrong. Um, so in the context of Leviticus 4, 1 through 6, it's talking about sins that you didn't know that you committed, causing guilt to be felt. All right. And there's a component to that. I want to dive in a little bit before we start with Romans 7. Um, so God, like I said, created each of us knowing intrinsically right from wrong. Um, for example, everyone knows that murder's wrong. You don't have to be taught that. Cain knew that killing his brother out of the progression of anger, greed, um, frustration uh, was just not good on any scale that you could put it up against. Murder is just not good. And he knew that. Um, So that's a big sin. But even the little sins like lying, cheating, stealing, a candy bar from a grocery store, whatever, um, those are all things we shouldn't do. And get this, not only Christians have this moral code. It's in all, I mean, God created each of us the same as his sons and daughters. So, I mean, there's not a special code that you need to, um, to have to distinguish between the two. So, by show of hands, how many of you think that God excuses our unknown sins? So if you sin by accident... Or unknowingly. He's like, oh, that's okay. We'll wipe that one away. That's good. No hands. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, he doesn't count them as that bad. Any sin is an affront to God, period. Um, You're the Law and Order fans in the room, and Brian will appreciate this. Um, Judges like to say it all the time. Ignorance is no excuse for the law. It's just, you, you did the deed. I'm sorry. Um, and I hear this debate all the time that God judges based on severity of sin. No, no. That applies to our government and the rules that we have and the consequences you have to your actions, but not to God. Um, like I said, any sin is an affront to God and grieves him just the same as any other. 
that should make our hearts break. And um, anyway, there's many times in Scripture where God's judgment on groups of people who are relentlessly sinning against him is instead exchanged for mercy. God swears he's going to wipe out an entire people. And when the time comes, he decides instead to spare them so they they might return to him. So he always extends grace. Remember, Jesus even speaks of this in Matthew 5, 22 and 28 and 32 on the Sermon of the Mount. Sin goes beyond just what was physically written as the Ten Commandments. So, talks about being angry with somebody. Um, you've pretty much, you know, committed murder in your heart. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her. A man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. So on and so forth. Alright, so there's a brief snapshot of Leviticus. So you don't have to hear me say it. I, there's a video I found that sums it up pretty perfectly. Maybe. jail for journalists you're stealing right to jail you're playing music too loud right to jail right away you're driving too fast jail slow jail you're charging too high prices for uh, sweaters glasses you right to jail you undercook fish believe it or not jail you overcook chicken also jail undercook overcook you make an appointment with the dentist and you don't show up believe it or not jail right away we have the best patients in the world because of jail that's Leviticus, basically. <laughs> read, read it for yourself, but it's pretty much all there. Um, all right, so if you claim to be in Christ and sin, knowingly or unknowingly, you'll feel guilty. The guilt should turn into seeking forgiveness through repentance. Um, and I apologize for shitting on everybody, but feeling guilt should always lead to repentance if you're in Christ. If you feel guilty for something that has happened weeks, months, or years ago, and you have not handed it over to God. Oh, I'm sorry, hold on. Yes. Yeah. If you feel guilty still for something that happened weeks, months, or years, if it takes years, then you just haven't handed that over to God to take care of. Um, Without knowing Christ and having the Spirit help us to repent of our guilt and shame, a lot of what we talked or sang this morning already, um, that's all you have to work with. So you can, there's coping mechanisms, you can suppress those, that guilt and shame, but it's going to come up in some form later on in life. Um, Our culture is riddled with anxiety, depression, bipolar, other disorders um, that I don't doubt the enemy is using as a result of undealt with guilt or shame. Okay, so not saying that every anxiety, depression, all those disorders stem from the enemy using it as um, undealt with guilt and shame, but I think it can manifest that way. Doctors, I was talking away this morning, doctors love to just throw, there's a pill for that within an hour of talking to you about an issue because they don't know the true condition. Um, it's a heart condition. Um, they're just aiding the symptoms for a little while, and after working in the medical field and being a first responder, I counted a lot of people 
who sadly are just being controlled by demons. They have just wallowed in their guilt and shame for so long and just handed it over to the enemy. And, and I want to be ultra clear about this. Um, I did not just say that every single person struggling with a disorder is possessed by a demon or that medicine cannot help. That is not what I just said. I just feel that the enemy can use that as a way to deter you from the Lord, who is the healer and can heal you from that. Um, And he's just clever in that way, unfortunately. So being covered by God's grace and forgiveness allows us to be looked at as pure, righteous, and blameless. He sees Christ when he looks at us. So I ask you, are you fighting for how God sees you? All right, so now we'll get into Romans 7, what we're here for today. Um, Before I get in trouble for going off script any further. Um, So I think chapter 7 is this weird little chapter that Paul is writing uh, just to level some things out for us so we can understand what's going on and the importance of why God has done what he's done. Paul tackles the relationship of the law um, of our human sin nature. He very clearly states that those who belong to Christ those who have surrendered their lives to him, have no longer an obligation to sin. Remember what I said earlier, if you aren't a slave to Christ, then you're a slave to sin by default, and vice versa. When we die a spiritual death, it is the exact moment Christ died a physical death, and we're made new. When God looks at us, he sees then his son, clean, righteous, holy, and blameless. So the first six verses of Romans 7, and we will read all of Romans 7 today, um, in bits and pieces. Um, uh, Paul illustrates the relationship of the law and Jesus as a marriage. So when a man or woman dies, they're free to marry again. Once we choose Christ, our obligation to the law dies, and we are then allowed and able to serve God. So let's read the first six together. Um, I have little headers on my chapters, and I, I enjoy reading those. So Romans 7 Released from law, bound to Christ. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, and the law has, or that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. All right. Paul continues in verse 7 to be extra clear that the law itself is not sin. Um, Apparently there is room for confusion there. So he goes on to say, Instead, that the law actually revealed the standard and helped identify sin in his life. Um, The header of this one is the law and sin. 
So chapter 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Uh, he goes on to use himself as an example to us in 8 through 12. We'll just continue going. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Um, so Paul finishes Romans 7.12 by encouraging us that the law is holy, righteous, and good. Again, Jesus verifies that in Matthew 17. You don't need to turn there. I think I have it. Yep. So 5.17 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So, did not come to abolish, but fulfill. All right. This is the time for the three Bibles. Reading verses 13 through 20 are an emotional roller coaster. Um, and I have different versions here. I did. Because they all just say things a little bit differently. Okay, doke. Um, so 13 through 14, we'll stay in. I, I'm reading the NIV, and that's what's on there. All right, 13 says, Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Alright, so 15 through 20, I like to read in the King James. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that I do. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was the, I'm sorry. I have the, the 1599 uh, Geneva version. is the one I actually like. There you go. Um, yes, there you go. There you go. For I allow not that which I do for what I would, that I do, um, would I hit. Let's put the NASB version on there. Um, I think that's the one we can all understand. Sorry. <laughs> I practiced this in the shower for like 40 minutes and I still can't get it. All right. 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing 
is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I promise I can read, y'all. It's a Richland County public school system for you. (laughs) All right. So apparently there's a little bit of minor controversy as well, whether Paul is talking about sin that he struggled with in the past before knowing Christ or a current struggle. Uh, Most scholars believe that based on the language he's using, points to this ongoing fight between flesh and spirit for a believer rather than something that he wrestled with in the past before coming to Christ. Either way, Paul's whole point is that non-believers can't keep the law and it can't make them righteous before God. Just the same, believers who are free of the power of sin still have an influence of sin to overcome. And I think Wade actually hit on it a little bit last week. He mentioned 1 Corinthians 10.13. And that says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So many people use the first half of 1 Corinthians 10.13 to encourage people who are going through a tough time that is you, please stop. (laughs) Um, Temptations will come, and they will absolutely test your limits and go beyond them. God is asking you for for you to draw near to him so that his spirit in you can take you through that struggle. Does anybody know uh, the temptations that are too tough for God to handle? Should be about the same amount of hands that were raised earlier. Zero. Uh, The more we draw near to him, the more we can overcome because his spirit is in us. And it's important to note that while believers are free from the power of sin, they are not sinless. 1 John 1, 9-10 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So, we just hope to sin less. We've talked about that before. Not sinless, but we hope to sin less if we're drawing closer to God each day and desiring to look more and more like Jesus. Paul ends uh, this chapter. Here, we'll read it first. Um, Starting in 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So Paul ends by allowing us to see his frustration with his inherent sinful self, uh, despite his best intentions to make things right. And he simply can't, and neither can we, on our own. 
He then asks a silly rhetorical question of who then can deliver him, God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, Sarah is a phenomenal writer. We have been writing a lot recently for different things regarding the adoption process. And um, since a lot of who we're dealing with are like Christian organizations and companies, um, they ask a lot of questions on our beliefs. So we just knock those out. One of Sarah's responses recently was that Jesus is the only thing worth everything. And those of you who know, that kind of freedom is unlike anything you could ever experience. Um, to say that, but also believe it and know it in your heart. So sitting at, in an interrogation room at 17 years old, looking at a minimum of 15 years for something really silly, um, but having the freedom and peace while sitting in that room that Sarah spoke of, Jesus being the only thing worth everything, um, doesn't make sense. And um, still, still knowing I was going to go to jail that night, and have to do all the things that you have to do um, when you're a criminal. Um, but I'm, I'm past that. Um, so, but I, I knew at that moment my life was going to be radically changed for the better. And I had a peace about that. Um, I knew only... I'm sorry. Most of you know the testimony of God's redemption in my life. But if you don't, I can, I'm always happy to share it over lunch or something. Um, so yeah, I'll ask the band to come on back up while I close out. Um, but basically to sum up everything that Paul said in chapter 7, it's pretty simple when you look at it. Jesus came to fulfill, not abolish the law. The law cannot and will not save you. The law convicts unbelievers and believers. Putting our hope and trust in Jesus is the only way to the Father. We are no longer bound by sin, and we are free to belong to Christ. Remember, if you are a slave to Christ, you are, a, you are not a slave to sin. Your chains are broken. Christ bore your punishment once and for all eternity. Please, I beg you, if you have not already, trade your shackles, handcuffs, chains, whatever is keeping you in bondage and trade it for the freedom that God gives you freely. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, uh, for the power of your spirit that convicts and draws us closer to you. All we have to do is surrender and accept the love that you just so freely give us, uh, the peace that we have, um, and the freedom to choose you and not our inherent sinful nature. Um, you send Jesus on our behalf um, and all we have to do is say yes and love you in return I pray that as we go forward to our homes to our workplaces Lord um, that we would recognize your presence there um, we would run to you we would drop everything that we think is important and just run to you Thank you for this family. Uh, thank you that we can come here and worship you freely. Uh, pray that our, our minds and our hearts, the things we say and the things we do would be glorifying to you. We love you. Amen.